Good morning and welcome to Life Church. Glad that you're here today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's delighted to have you with us. Can we welcome our West Campus, our Appleton Campus, our online campus, Germantown Campus? All right. We welcome those of you that are joining us from Appleton and from the west side of Milwaukee and then also here in Germantown, and we're delighted to have you with us. If you're a first-time guest with us, we're one church, multiple locations. We believe that uh, video is the stained glass of the 21st century, and so uh, we are excited to have all of everybody with us today at this service. This morning, we're starting a brand new series called Balance. And if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm going to get there in just a minute. I'm going to give you a lot of different verses and some information, but that's going to kind of be the, the text that I'm at, kind of launching from today. Uh, this series about balance, we're going to talk about your stuff. We're going to talk about your money. Uh, we're going to talk about what you do with your stuff and what you do with your money and what the Bible has to say about it. So let me help you with a couple things. First of all, we're not doing a campaign, all right? So you can look at your neighbor and say he's not doing a campaign. Uh, so we're not asking you to pledge for anything, okay? Secondly, I'm not taking a special offering during the entire series. I'm thinking, yep, no special offerings during the entire series, unless the Lord leads me. No, I'm just teasing. We want no special offerings. What I really want to do is talk about this subject, uh, and I'm going to explain why in just a minute. But the Bible has a lot to say about it. And here's what I find with Christians especially. We dichotomize our life. And dichotomy means two parts. So we put a spiritual part, which is typically our weekend service, maybe a missions trip that we do, or midweek, you know, for, if you're students, you go to midweek uh, student life. And then we have the rest of our life. And the Bible doesn't, God didn't intend for you and I to work or to live that way. He intended for everything to be integrated. One of the reasons for that is because the more complicated, the more hoops, the more processes that there are, uh, the more complex and more confusing life becomes. And, and Jesus said he came to give us life and life to the full. He, it's simple. It's not trying to be, God's not trying to, to be some cosmic killjoy to confuse you or to, or to upset you or to disturb you. He really wants you to have life and life to the fullest, according to John chapter 10, verse 10. And so what happens, though, is we begin to make things complicated. And so we kind of put our life, and here's my business, and here's what I do Monday through Friday, and then here's my spiritual life. And the problem is, is that work, your business came before the fall of man. Before sin entered the world, man had a job. He had a vocation. So what you do with the work of your hands should actually be part of your spiritual act of worship. The Bible says that whatever you find to do, do it as unto the Lord. And so that should all come together. And but for some reason, when it comes to money and stuff, we just want to kind of give God the Heisman. We want to kind of give the pastor that's preaching the Heisman. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. And we just, we don't want to deal with it. And, and what I want to do in this series is really talk about it from a very practical perspective. And so we're breaking it up into three parts. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Yesterday is how you got to wherever you are today. And some of you, you're doing really well. Some of you, you're really jacked up. And, and I'm not going to point anybody out or have the camera focus in on you, okay? So just be cool with that. But this is for you to examine yourself. Some of you, you're, you're okay, but, but bottom line is, is you're, you're leveraged, which means as long as the money's coming in, then you've got, you can pay the bills. But if something happens with the, with the inflow, that expense line is going to become very detrimental to you very quickly. And then some of you, this is something that you just, this is, this is your sweet spot. You're in the strength here, and you really wonder why do people get themselves up to their yin-yang in debt. That's a spiritual term. And why they do that. And, and maybe I can help explain some of that. Uh, but my goal is that it helps you. If you're a student, you're in junior high or high school, 
These are good biblical principles for you to live your life by. More people crash and burn on the subject of finances and stuff in their lives than anything else. More marriages, the number one cause for divorce in America is finance. It's this issue of indebtedness and what you're doing. And so we're going to talk about that. Next week, we're going to talk about tomorrow. I mean, today, we're going to talk about what we're doing. What does the Bible say I'm supposed to be doing? How do I get God to bless what I'm doing? How do I, he wants to bless me to be a blessing to someone else. How does that work? And then just some practical things of, of budgeting and what do I do? And, and how do I do this in such a way that it honors God and that I don't dichotomize my life from my workaday life and my spiritual life where I actually bring those things together. And then last, we're going to end with tomorrow. What are you doing in a legacy way? How does that work in your life? Because some of you, you've never thought about that. You've got a plan for saving. You've got a plan for spending. You've got a plan for retirement. You've got a plan for, but you have no plan to give. And generosity is at the very heart of who God is. Generosity breaks up all of the foul, selfish, uh, the two things that we deal with, pride of life and lust of the flesh, generosity destroys those things. And that's the reason why John 3.16 said, God loved you and I so much that he gave. He didn't talk about giving. He didn't do something spiritual like lift his hands and sing a worship song and sing kumbaya. He gave. What he gave? He gave everything. And so again, no campaign, no special offering. I just want to talk to you to help you in this. So um, today... In America, let me give you a couple statistics that this is, as a pastor, uh, I see this happening, and, and this is part of the reason why I want to address this. For every dollar we make in America, we spend $1.22 on average currently, which means we're spending 22% more than what we bring in. That's a problem. That's not the federal government. That's, it's larger there, but they're talking about us individually. Young families in America spend 24% of their income on debt. 24%, a fourth of their income is going on debt. 90% of Americans live in debt. The average household in America, the average person in America, has 7.9 credit cards. They get 50 credit card offers a year, almost one a week, and they have $12,000 just on consumer debt on credit cards. So this is kind of an issue. And I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures here. You can write these down if you want to. Of what does God's word say about debt and about kind of swiping your way to happiness, right, with a credit card. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 says that the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is subject to the lender. When you are in debt to Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover, I don't care if they give you 1.5 cash back or not from Capital One, at the end of the day, you are owned, or a part of you is owned by them. That's what the Bible says. Don't get mad at me. Email God at God at Hotmail.com. Okay, cool. Secondly, Proverbs 13, 7 says that one man pretends to be rich, yet he has nothing. That's really true of the world in which we live in. People look like they're worth a million bucks and they make about 35 grand. And so we, we, we have these things from our clothes to our cars to things that just project this image that we're all, and this isn't a new thing, we're going to talk about this, but, but they have nothing. Proverbs 25 verse 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Someone who cannot say no to the better thing is like a city whose walls are broken down, which means it's, it's, you're spent, you're done. Luke chapter 14, Jesus says in verse 28, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? It's kind of a rhetorical question Jesus is asking. Sure you would. 
Because nobody's going to go in to do something or spend something without a plan. And Proverbs 21.5 says that the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. There is a way to prosper and there's a way to find yourself in poverty. And God's word speaks about this. And so you may go, well, really, okay, help me understand this, Aaron. Let me give you a statement that will help you understand why I talk about this subject. And so much, some, some, to some point on a regular basis. Because there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and our stuff. There's a fundamental connection between your spiritual life and your stuff. There's a fundamental connection there. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus taught dealt with stuff or money. Stuff and money, was, Jesus spoke five times more than he did about prayer. Now you think about that. We think prayer is so deeply spiritual. But he spent five times more energy, time, uh, content from the New Testament on stuff and money. There are 2,000 verses on this subject. And stuff and money are talked more about than heaven or hell. It's a big deal. And so for us to sit and think for just a minute, this isn't a new problem. I want you to get that. This debt, this issue is not a new issue. It's not a new problem. It's not something that we just arrived here at. This is a human condition. We have a tendency to overextend. We have a tendency to, 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 you know, to write checks that we can't cash. We have a tendency to want to keep up with the Joneses. We have a tendency to want to just try to fill this void of our life. This is not a new issue. From the Old Testament that I gave you scriptures to the New Testament to what Jesus taught about. So if he spent that much time, if Jesus spent that much time talking about this subject, I think we need to spend a little time on it. And according to the statistics, uh, inside the church and outside the church, there's really no difference between the amount of indebtedness that we incur as Christians uh, because that means simply we just don't always follow Judeo-Christian values that we read in Scripture and what we see from our counterparts that may be outside the church. So I want to take you to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul is writing here to, to, to young Timothy, this pastor of the church in Ephesus, this growing explosive church. Uh, there's kind of a misnomer, too, that godliness kind of equals this, um, this wealth or this appearance of wealth. And Paul kind of talks to Timothy about what's going to be happening on the landscape of, of he's going to find out in church and, and some keys to financial freedom. So look at this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we could take nothing out of it. There's no U-Hauls behind hearses, right? Okay. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So they were watching late night infomercials in the first century is what he's saying, right? You too can be rich if you'll simply do this. For the love of money, not money, money in and of itself is neutral. What you do with it makes it profane or sacred. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, they're greedy, uh, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul's speaking this to Timothy, this young pastor in the New Testament. And he's telling them, listen, there's nothing wrong with having things. Just don't let things have you. Nothing wrong with being blessed. Just make sure that what you're being blessed with, that you're being a blessing to someone else. Understand that God gives you what he gives you, not just for your benefit, but for the benefit of those people that are around you. And if you fall into the trap of, the, of pursuing money, 
you will begin to serve money. You will begin to become subject to money. And many people, Paul says to Timothy, who have tried to get rich quick, who have tried to go after money, who have made money their God, in essence, they've taken God off the throne and they've put money, the almighty dollar there. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about clams, yen, uh, 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 pounds, dollars, Skittles, M&Ms, whatever the currency of trade is, whatever that is, people that have given their lives to pursue that have walked away from their faith. They've walked away and they've pierced themselves with many griefs because they loved money. It wasn't the things. It's okay to have things. Just don't let things have you. And I see this sometimes in church. People go, well, it's, a, it's the kind of car you drive. No. It's the kind of house you live in. No. It's the kind of clothes you wear. No. It has nothing to do with that. Materialism begins where your income ends. If you can afford something, God bless you. There's, look, there's no car on the market that's wrong to drive. I'm sorry, you don't find in Hezekiah 3.5, and thou shalt not drive a Maybach. Hey, baby, if you can drive it, God bless you. But if you're having to be up to your yin-yang in debt to try to keep up with the Joneses to do it, there's something wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it. There's not like a, well, at this amount of square footage in a house, that becomes ungodly. No, who died and made you God? We do this, especially as Christians. I had a businessman say to me one time here at Life Church. He pulled into the parking lot, and he was driving a particular luxury brand. And somebody, is, it was his first Sunday here, and he said, I just came to check the church out, and thank God he stayed, because uh, you have stupid people in church. You know that, don't you, right? Okay. People are getting really quiet, like, what's he about to say? And this person, it's a first-time guest, goes, wow, I know Christians could drive cars like that. It's like, really? I mean, come on, McFly, work with me here for a second. It's not about that. And you know what? Some of the most materialistic people that I've ever met are people that don't have two nickels to rub together. They don't have anything. They're obsessed. Materialism is an obsession with material wealth. And some of the most materialistic people you will meet are not wealthy people. They're poor people trying to be wealthy. They're, they're what I just read to you just a minute ago in Proverbs 13, 7. One man pretends to be rich, yet he has nothing. And so here's what I want you to understand. Money is not wrong. Money is not evil. Money is just a resource. What you do with it and how you pursue it, that makes all the difference in the world. Because the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, 11, and 12, that we're to bring our tithe. Tithe means 10% to God. It says, bring the tithe to the storehouse so there may be food in my house, says the Lord. And if you'll do this, I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. I'll bless the work of your hands and I'll bless you in such a way it'll be a, it'll be a witness and testimony to people far away from me. The reality is is that when I bring the tithe, when I bring 10% of my earnings, when I bring 10% of my income, when I bring 10% of my money, that's not profane. It's holy unto God. So money in and of itself is neutral. But if I hold that back, or if I'm all about consuming, or I'm all about just the almighty dollar, then that becomes my God, and that's what makes it the love of that thing, and that's what makes it evil. Does that make sense? It's just a resource. Money is just, it's powerful. It has the ability to feed uh, 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 naked children. It has the ability to, to open and build water wells and feed and, and feed uh, kids and feeding programs around the world. Money has the ability to put food in your stomach and gas in your vehicles and bless your family. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. It's just something wrong when those things have you. So why do we get in that situation? What are, what are some conditions that we deal with? Well, let me give you a couple things here. Distressed. You become distressed. The pressure of life. 
Life is a pressure cooker, so you look for a way to alleviate that. So you look for a way to do that. Maybe it's a hobby, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but it becomes a way that you become obsessive about this. And so this is where you begin to flesh this, 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 this monetary uh, income out in such a way that's unhealthy. Another way is discontented. You become discontented. Uh, it's unsatisfied. You, you, you just want more. It's the monster of more. I, I, I have a house. I want a bigger house. I have a car. I want a bigger car. I've got clothes. I want more clothes. I, I, I have this. I want that. It's just, it's this constant need to acquiesce because there's a high to that, like an addictive drug. And what happens is it takes more and more and more and more and more to fulfill that high. And what you're trying to do is, is fill a place in your heart. You're trying to fill something in your life that only Jesus can fill. Do you understand? That's the reason why the Bible says in Acts that the Holy Spirit will come and he will be a comforter. The, the Greek word is paraclete, one that walks alongside. And any time that we try to use things in this world to fill us in a comforting sense, we're upseating the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you understand that? So when I go to medicate myself or I go to do anything that would try to fill and try to ease that pain, I'm not talking about, there's nothing wrong with pleasure, Right? I've been playing the Zach Brown song, Knee Deep in the Water, somewhere this week because it's been so cold. And, and, and I'm just thinking about, I can't wait to get to the middle of the summer where I can get to a lake or get to the ocean or something like that. I'm not talking about easing some of the, the distress in your life. I'm saying, though, what when you're spending, you're swiping your way to happiness begins to be a way to comfort yourself because of your discontentedness, there's an issue. There, there is, I began to kind of push God away. Remember, verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. And contentment is something that is not just automatic, it's achieved. Uh, disconnected. I find people become disconnected, especially in church, with God's plan. They don't really know what the Bible says about the resources that they're given. And because they don't know and they don't apply those principles, they, they disconnect those. And they do this thing of, I have business Monday through Friday, and then I, I have church on Sunday. And, and the two, the, never the two shall meet kind of a deal. Well, the bottom line is, is the Bible either works 24-7 or it doesn't work at all. God is either, look, if all God does is save you from hell, then what's the value of what we're doing right here? Going to church doesn't get you into heaven or out of hell. Right? Romans 10, 9, 10 says that when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that's when we're saved. Anything else, this is an act of work, then, if that's the case. The reality is, is that in my life, I can live my life disconnected from God. And one of the chief areas that I can do that is in my stuff. Because my stuff deals with so many things. It deals with my work. It deals with my pleasure. It deals with my family. It deals with so many, it has so many tentacles. That's the reason why Jesus talks so much about it. That if we can integrate these things holistically to where we understand that God's word will help us, it's life-changing. And then the other thing is distracted. People get into debt and they, 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 become, they, they follow after money because they're distracted. Life is happening fast. And sometimes just paying the bills and do, you don't pay attention. Uh, sit down sometime and don't just pay your credit card statement. Sit there and categorize what you spent your money on. How much did you spend on out to eat? How much did you spend at the gas station? How much did you spend at your favorite department store? How much did you spend on your favorite hobby? How much did you... All of a sudden you'll go, Wow. Because what happens a lot of times is we don't ever really take inventory to stop for a minute and we look at our lives and then we compare it to Scripture. And, and so take a moment and look at that. And again, nothing wrong with going to the department store. Nothing wrong with, hey, nothing wrong with buying new golf clubs, amen? Or a new hunting rifle, hallelujah, praise his name. Don't, don't shut me down. You guys are quiet. A bass boat, can I get a witness in the little, all right, anything, right? 
Snowmobile? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Okay. You understand? There's nothing wrong with things. So don't, I don't want you to walk in here and go, man, he is just like, he wants us to live like paupers and give everything to the church. And No, 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 no. I'm talking about how you can live life in harmony with God and with the world that he's created. And there's nothing wrong. Listen, there's nothing wrong with going to the lake. There's nothing wrong with going to Disney World. There's nothing wrong with being blessed. There's nothing wrong with blessing your family. God wants you to do that. But there's something that becomes wrong when we become obsessed about it or we are having to put ourselves in peril in order to do those things. So at this point in the message, there's three kinds of people in the room. There's some of you that are cringing because you're up to your yin-yang in debt. It's just where you are. And you're like going, oh, man, how much did I spend? What did I? And your mind is just racing right now. Um, and what I would tell you is just cool your RPMs, cool your jets. Let's walk through this message and finish this up. And I, I got some homework for you today. The, yeah, you're really excited about that, aren't you? Um, I know there's a Super Bowl. I get that. But, you know, the Packers aren't playing, so who's really watching, right? Oh, I was expecting, man, this is a tough crowd here. I'll be here all week, folks. All right, some of you, there's a second group of you here that, that you have debt, but it's not de- debilitating. But here's the problem. You're leveraged, which means as long as you have income, you can pay your bills. But what happens when that income is gone? Do you have emergency fund? Do you have 90 days worth of operational capital for your family? Do you? What happens with that? Because that's where people get in trouble. All of a sudden, you lose your job, and then you're sweating bullets because there's a downturn in the economy. There's this happening. There's that happening, all this kind of stuff. And then that verse that we just read in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower was subject to the lender. Now, all of a sudden, you become subject to that. I just want you to sit back and go, hey, you're okay right now, but are there some things you could do to, to basically apply some biblical principles to your life to help you? And then, and then the last group of you, you're here, and this is not an issue at all for you. Matter of fact, you kind of get bored with messages like this, and you may be kind of like, hey, I shaved my legs for this, and I showed up for this. And what I would say is, you know, lot, church, a lot of times, is kind of like a buffet. Does that surprise you that I'm using this analogy? That, you know, just you've got your tray, and you've got your plate, and you're in front of the Brussels sprouts right now, and you're like Brussels sprouts. Just hang on. So there's going to be some mac, mac and cheese that's coming, Right? Anybody like Golden Corral where they've got the chocolate fountains? I love the chocolate fountains. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, anyhow. So it's coming, but just hang on, okay? So, so work with us. Um, and so, but I want to talk, just I want to end, end our time today talking about if you feel like you're drowning in debt, some practical things you can do. First of all, what I want to encourage you to do, if you feel like you're up to your yin-yang in debt, is to involve yourself and to commit yourself to going through the Financial Peace Life Group. When you leave today, you can simply go out to the Resource Center, which is located in the lobby at the West Campus, in the lobby at the Appleton Campus, and also uh, it's in, just to the right in the lobby at the Germantown Campus. Or if you're online, you can scroll down. You can simply just connect on the screen and sign up for that life group. Involve yourself in the Financial Peace Life Group. Because a lot of what I'm going to say today are going to be things that they're going to kind of really unfold in, that, in the context of that. And I don't have all the time to do that. But I would encourage you to do that. Uh, I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan. And, uh, and Dave Ramsey, unfortunately, wasn't around for Tammy and I when we kind of faced our financial crisis early on in marriage of debt. Uh, but the principles and the things that he's, he teaches and that he does and that you'll learn in financial peace will, are actually the things that we applied um, in our life early on. And here's the reality. Many of us find ourselves in this place, and it's not 
don't be embarrassed by that. Tammy and I were young. Uh, we, I didn't take any credit card during college, um, and so uh, nor did she. And so when we got married, there were credit card offers that came in. I had some advice. You need to build your credit, uh, so get out and do some of these things. So I began to do that. Little did we understand that all of a sudden we were just swiping our way to happiness. And so we were eating out and, and playing golf, I was, and, and shopping and just doing all this stuff. And we sat down one day because the amount of money that was coming in wasn't enough to pay the bills. And we found ourselves in a place where we were getting behind. We were getting to a point where we were a month behind. Now we're getting two months behind. And it's like, what's going on? And so we sat down, and so some things I'm going to, pull, I'm going to tell, talk to you about in these next few minutes are exactly things that we did. And we found ourselves with, with, um, with about $15,000 worth of credit card debt alone. And, um, and so we realized we don't live this way. So we began to make some changes, and we began to make some, make some, some adjustments in order to get out of that to never go back to that. And again, I'm not telling you that if you have debt, that debt is sin. Don't, don't misunderstand me, all right? Uh, I'm not, I have a home mortgage, so I'm, I'm not, you know, I have a car payment. I'm, I'm not, but I am telling you that, that consumer debt will kill you. And you have to define what that line, that, that line is for you. For us, we just said this is not how we want to live. So the, so the first thing I would tell you is, is define reality. To define reality. That's what we had to do. Is uh, list your indebtedness. Sit down, take a pen and paper, and define your reality. Make Make a, make, a, uh, make a list right there. Luke chapter 14, verse 28. Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Um, what you've done is you've kind of inversed that, and you've spent the money for the tower, and now you're trying to figure out if you can pay for it. Regardless, define reality. Sit down, look at it. Here's what I owe. Here's the amount of indebtedness that I have. Unless you deal with reality... You can't accomplish anything. I'm a huge, huge, huge believer in Jim Collins' Good to Great Secular Business book. And Collins says in any great company in America, or in the world for that matter, they have to begin with reality. If you do not deal with reality, you cannot deal with the problems. And if you are aloof of the problems, they will boomerang around and they will eat your lunch. Same is true in your personal finance. If you don't deal with reality, if you don't know what reality is, if you don't know really what your indebtedness is, if you don't really know that, then you can't change anything about it. Second thing is make a plan. Make a plan. Uh, make, make, make a plan. And, and again, I go back to the verse I gave you a second ago, uh, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. If you want to be prosperous in this world, you're going to have to have a plan. I'm just telling you, people that do well financially have plans. People that don't live in debt have plans. Not just budgets, they have plans. You, you have a vision for everything. An intention uh, does not lead to destination. It's direction that leads to de destination, not intention. I use this example all the time, but it, it's apropos to this conversation. And that is, I can be in Bermuda shorts with flip-flops and an OP t-shirt on. You like that 1980s kids? OP, OP, everywhere you go, P. So I, I can wear an, an Ocean Pacific t-shirt on, and I can have my Ray-Bans on, and I can be in the minivan going saying, I'm going to Florida, but if my car, my intention is to get to Florida, but if my car is on I-43 going north, guess where I'm going? Escanaba. 
I'm finding a beach, but it's not going to be the beach that I want to get to. And that's what happens a lot of times. We think if I just really, if I wish I may, I wish I might have this wish I wish tonight. It's kind of like if we just click our heels, we're going to get back to Kansas. It's just not a reality. The reality is, is that you've got to sit down and make a plan. You've got to sit down and understand the direction of your life is going to determine your ultimate destination, not your intention. I used to have a teacher that would always tell me, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, Aaron. It's not intention, it's direction that gets my destination. Have a plan. Where do you want to wind up? How do you want to get there? What's your goals? Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't be super spiritual and go, well, God will give me what he wants to give me. No, he's given you what he needs. He just needs you to steward it correctly. He needs me to steward it correctly. The second thing is, is so when I'm talking about making a plan, let me give you some, some, some help, help, helpful things. First of all, start today. Start today, right? Don't put off tomorrow what you have the ability to do today, the Bible says. Start today. I know it's Super Bowl Sunday. I know all that's going on. I know you've got plans and all of that. I'm going to have pancakes at Cracker Barrel when I get done with this because it's my cheat day today. I'm just saying, whatever it is, start today. Don't put it off tomorrow because tomorrow never comes. List what you own and what you owe. Make a list. Here's what I own. And if you're paying for your house, you don't own it. You're paying for it. So it falls in the O column, right? Just because you technically, that you've got the title for your car, you are owing on it. You don't own it. It goes in the o, o column. So here's what I owe. Here's what I own. Look at it. Again, face reality. It helps you to be able to do this. The next thing I would say is don't take on any new debt. No new debt. No new debt at all. So that means cut your credit cards up. Oh! <gasps> Yes, because the only way to stop the bleeding is to, de- is to apply direct pressure. You understand this? First aid 101. You got to stop. You got to stop. And it may mean that you don't go to Starbucks and grab your $4 skinny cinnamon dolce latte at 190 degrees. I know. What would we do in this world before Starbucks? But there was a time that we didn't have this. So you stop the spending. You stop the credit card spending. You also sit down and, and here's something else that you do. You go through and you look at all the discretionary expenses that you have that you don't have to have, and you cut them out. What's he talking about? Cable? Oh, no, no, not my cable. It's Super Bowl Sunday. You can cut it off tomorrow. But, but, but cable. You understand? I had one guy yelling at me last night. He, he worked for Charter, had the Charter jacket. He goes, man, you're killing my business. I'm sorry, dude. People are dying, so I need to help him a little bit. Whatever it may be. Seriously, we can rationalize everything away. Why well, I need this for this and this for this and this for this. You may have one beater of a car that's paid for, and you may have a car that, that you owe payments on that, honestly, you're up to your yin-yang in debt. You need to sell the good car and drive the beater. I'm telling you, I did this. I drove a Dodge Daytona oxidized, which means the paint was coming off of it, powder blue car with the ceiling that just kind of hung down, no muffler. Tammy and I were young married. It was Tammy's car. It wasn't mine. I had, a, I had an Oldsmobile Cutlass Calais. Remember those with the spoke wheels and the red velour interior and the dashboard that just lit up? Cruising. So anyhow, I mean, that was my, so, so we, so she drove the Oldsmobile and I drove the, cause both cars were paid for. And so I drove the Dodge Daytona. It had cranked down windows and I was a youth pastor. I think our total income that year was 35,000 bucks. That was the grand scheme. She was working full time. I was working full time. She worked at a doctor's office and as a receptionist. And I worked at the church as a youth pastor 
car had no air conditioning. And I lived in the dirty south where it's hot. And I had to wear a tie to work. And so, and again, my body, I'm pretty big, so I put off a lot of BTUs to boot that. So I would come in. I looked like I was sweating, like Buzz Williams coaching basketball at Marquette, right, during the game. And I was just on, right? And here I am. I'm, I'm up there, and, I'm, and I would go so many times. I never forget one time. I went to the Ford dealership, and they had this god-awful, like, electric blue Ford Escort. But it had air conditioning. And I drove it. If somebody's driving that, I'm so sorry. But, but I drove it home to Tammy, and I was just like, can I buy it? And she goes, Aaron, we have no money. But it has air conditioning, Tammy, and the muffler doesn't sound like it's going to blow up. And, and so I had to take it back. And what we did was, is again, we cut off all of that because we didn't have any money. We didn't buy clothes that year. We had clothes. We didn't go around naked. But, but we didn't buy clothes. We, we, we didn't go anywhere for vacation. It's amazing to me. People go, but it's our anniversary, so we need to go spend a lot of money. No, you don't, because you're going to spend 200 bucks at this restaurant only next week to fight about it. What good is that? Right? I mean, I'm just telling you. So, so, so you, you began to cut out all of everything that's discretionary that you don't have to have. Have conversations with your kids. Hey, you can do anything you want, but you cannot do everything. I'm not here to fund your sports career. Understand? We're not doing six sports. We don't have the money to do six sports. You find what, you know, whatever it may be. And so my dad paid seven bucks for a boys club membership and said, here, have at it. And if you need more than that, you're going to have to figure out where it's at. So no new debt. And the last thing I would say is attack debt. Take the debt that you have of what you owe and attack it. It's a simple principle. It's what Ramsey calls a snowball effect. But you list all of your debts. Forget what the interest rates are. You've already been paying crazy interest. Take, list them all out. Begin to make the minimum monthly payment on all of those, on all of those, on all of those credit cards. But take the one that's the smallest credit card consumer debt that you owe. Okay, I'm just gonna give you an example. Nothing wrong with Kohl's. You work for Kohl's Corporate. Love you, appreciate you, all that kind of stuff. Especially the Kohl's cash stuff. Okay, but but here's the deal. If you if you got a Kohl's credit card, you have $840 on that credit card. It's the lowest credit card that you have then what you do is you go and you, take, you make the minimum monthly payment on your American Express, your Visa, your MasterCard, JCPenney, whatever else you have, and you make the minimum monthly on that, and then you take all the extra cash that you have from where you've cut your expenses, where you've cut your cable, where you've cut everything else, and you attack that one bill. You attack that one debt piece, and you put everything extra so that you wipe that $840 out as quickly as possible. Guess what happens? You get to draw the line through that one, and then you attack the next one. And the next one, don't worry about what the, what the interest rates are on them. And the next one, the next one, the next one. What happens is, is it begins to create momentum and build momentum, and you begin to feel more like an overcomer, and uh, actually it, it really it helps you. Uh, it's kind of like working out when all of a sudden you begin to lose weight, you begin to feel the muscle density kick in, and you feel good about yourself. It makes you want to do more. And it's so, be realistic, do this. The last thing I would say is trust God. I know that sounds spiritual, like, yeah, he's going to throw that in there. He's the pastor. He's got to say that. No, I'm going to, I've showed you today, and I'm going to continue to show you, the Bible has a lot to say about your stuff and your money. God understands. So the reality is, is trust him. What do I mean by that? I mean this, get in his word for yourself and see what it says about your resources. There's some great resources at the resource center you can pick up today at any of our campuses that will talk about this, that will, will give you some more information on this. I'm going to be talking about this over the next several weeks to help you and to come along. 
But I think one of the most powerful things that we can do is to hear from somebody else, a testimony. And so I want you to see Mike and Kelly's testimony. Mike and Kelly attend Life Church. They're regular attenders. They found themselves deeply in debt, forty dollars to $50,000 in debt. And uh, they did exactly what I'm talking about today here at Life Church. Check out their story, and then I'll come back. I'm Kelly Bichanich. And I'm Mike Bichanich. And Mike and I have been married for about 26 years. And throughout that time, uh, financially, we've uh, struggled uh, plenty. Probably the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, we had found ourselves in credit card and second mortgage debt of maybe $50,000. It was a, a long road ahead of us, and uh, we knew that we needed to do something at that point to, and we needed to work at getting out. Mike and I realized that, you know, the trouble with our debt was uh, it created a lot of friction in our marriage. It, um, you know, we didn't know where to turn to, but we knew that we did need help. Um, I realized when we started putting our mortgage on credit card that we, we were in a lot of trouble and it wasn't going to get any better unless we, we really stopped and, and, and did, did something about it. Uh, we did find out about um, the financial, financial Peace Program with Dave Ramsey, um, offered through Life Church, and we knew immediately that we had to come on board to, to start something. We tried budgets in the past. We've, we tried many, many things. And then once we had um, began the course, um, I, we still felt, at least I did, that there's no way we could even like start an emergency fund, that we could even find the funds to you know, begin tithing at church. Um, because I had that attitude of we were so far out, there was like no hope for us. But through the course, um, they taught us that, you know, start small. And the snowball effect on the credit cards was amazing. And that is really what kind of catapulted us into a, you know, an excitement moment to say, hey, we can do this, even if it is a dollar a day or, you know, something small. Pastor Aaron had put it out there that the 90-day challenge uh, for tithing, uh, we had never really done a full tithe and we knew that we had to rely on our faith to be in, in order to do that so we took that challenge uh, along with trying to get out of debt and we put God in front of that and I think that just catapulted everything to know that you know sometimes things were very tight but we had to trust that God was going to get us through it and and he did so you know tithing worked for us when we started it and um, yes we, we built it into the budget and we made sure that uh, we made that commitment. And the one thing that we truly realized after that is that God can do so much more for our 90, with our 90% that's left over. What was left for us was so much more abundant than what we could have ever done with the full 100% of our income. I would say the best part of being out of debt um, is just that the freedom of not having that heavy weight on your shoulders and the struggles of arguing where the money's gonna come from and you know, just basically knowing that 
that you've got it covered. Yeah, it definitely wasn't overnight, but you know, you, you persevere and you just, you have your faith and God gets you through and, and we're just very thankful for where we are today.